Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. And partake in this theatre of the mind. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 1, Episode 18. I'm your Master of Ceremonies, G.M. Danielson. Pardon for that introduction. It comes of drinking Santa's blood in preparation for my Christmas. Almost turns me into what you might call a vampire elf. Mm, True, a bit unorthodox as Christmas practices and celebrations go. But what can you do when you're a vampire like me, alone in this crypt on Christmas Eve? Mm. Well, anyway, our loyal listeners, the holidays, are in full swing. As the demise of 2016 closes in, 
As the stockings are hung, the Hanukkah candles are lit, and we practice the seven principles of Kwanzaa, we all try to be a little less impatient and forgiving at this time of year. Even those who do not celebrate ritual December holidays seem to have a glow about them as the Gregorian calendar approaches zero hour. We here at the Simply Scary podcast are no different in that we feel the spirit of Christmas as we prepare you for Yuletide scares. Yes, as if my transformation from Vampire Santa back into GM Danielson wasn't scary enough, we have even more scary in store for you. So settle your debts, fill a cup with the nog of your choice, and the first of many haunting spirits will visit us tonight as we listen to those sleigh bells ring. Now let us begin this chilling presentation as we invite you to join in our celebration. Mm, The first present under the tree we select for you is from our fearless leader himself, Craig Groshek. He has tweaked a well-known holiday standard to give it a simply scary update for our purposes. Gather round and hold each other tight, because there's a new Santa in town. Peter Bishop performs Craig Groshek's Twas the Night Before Krampus. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The red moon's glow upon the new-fallen snow gave the luster of blood to white objects below. Then there appeared a fearful visage laying in wait, in a black-painted cart driven by shadowy wraiths. With a gnarled driver concealed by fog that was thick, I knew not who he was, but do testify he looked sick. Rabid as wolf packs, his eight coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now lust, now greed, now gluttony and sloth, on envy, on pride, on wrath. Then he stopped, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall rose nightmarish steeds over seven feet tall. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they met with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the creatures they flew, dragging sacks full of bones and hollow skulls too. And then, in a second, I heard on the ceiling the cracking of wood and the sound of paint peeling. As I drew in my head, and was turning around, down the chimney came something that appeared to have drowned. 
He donned clothes of skin sourced from victims unknown, draped in robes splayed with remnants of organs and bone. There appeared on his back a large dripping sack. I dared not look away as he opened his pack. His eyes, how they blazed, set in sockets so black. His nose non-existent, his face melting like wax. His droll little mouth was drawn up to a grin, and the look in his eyes betrayed malice and sin. I caught sight of the stumps of severed feet in his hands, surely remains of victims fallen prey to his plans. He had a skinny face and little round horns that stabbed air when he laughed like a string of rose thorns. He was beastly and lean, a sadistic-looking elf, and I stared deep into his eyes in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head, and my wife who came down dropped down dead. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and brought down the children, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod, up the chimney they rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a scream, and away they all flew like water rushing downstream. He uttered, My list says this year your children were naughty, not nice. The legends are true. I'm no myth, and this is my price. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly devolved quickly. Looks like naughty children will be praying that all they get is a lump of coal in their stocking. While we chew on a slice of Grandma's blood fruitcake, we'll impart a holiday message sure to help you deck the halls with horror this season. Wanna give that little goblin on your list something special this season? Chilling Tales for Dark Nights makes a wonderful gift. So go to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour and give the gift of Chilling Tales this season. Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Now, it's time for our next present under our all-inclusive Christmas tree. Because we are here to share some scares, no matter your tradition. Let's see what this card says. This is to you from Elias Witherow. His gift will unfold a darkly twisted vision. When an unfortunate tyke wishes for the type of special memories he sees his peers experience during this season of delight and merriment, he soon finds that his experience will certainly be something he will never forget. Ronnie Dixon performs Elias Witherow's Christmas Land. Christmas has always been a hard time for me. 
I've never felt the warmth of family coming together or the anticipation of opening gifts. I've never gone to midnight mass or experienced the thrill of sitting on Santa's lap and telling him what I want. I've never helped my mother make gingerbread cookies or gone caroling. But Christmas isn't hard because my life has lacked those holiday essentials, no. Instead, it's because of the memories that surround that annual celebration. The reminder of what I went through, of what I've seen. I'm getting ahead of myself. It happened when I was six. I was living with my mother. My father was out of the picture. Just a hateful name on my mother's tongue. I never met the guy. And to be honest, I never wanted to. Why would I want to develop a relationship with someone who abandoned my mother and I after I was born? So, it was just the two of us. Two quiet souls, just trying to make the most of our meager lives. We lived in a small house on the edge of town. My mother worked two jobs and couldn't afford a sitter, so I spent a lot of time alone in the house. She made me swear secrecy not to tell anyone at school because she was afraid social services would take me away. Looking back, they probably would have if they found out, but they never did. And I spent a lot of time in a world of make-believe. I had to. We didn't have a television or even a radio, so if I wanted to escape somewhere, it had to be in my head. I didn't mind because I didn't know any better. I spun worlds and characters, imaginary friends, and silly things that little boys fantasize about. I'd come home from school, make myself some cheese and crackers, the kind of cheese you'd squirt from a can, and launch into my world of make-believe. I was a space warrior, a pirate, a soldier, anything I could think of. I'd run around the house fighting aliens or the enemy, shooting at them with imaginary guns or fighting them back with invisible swords. Eventually, the sun would set, and I would end up asleep in my room. My mother would come home around ten, check on me, kiss me on the cheek, and then rush back to her other job, which kept her busy until after three a.m. So you see, she didn't have a lot of time for me. She didn't have time to get us a Christmas tree or decorate our house or anything. Christmas was just another day for me. But God, I wanted it to be so much more. I got so jealous listening to the kids at school talk about their presents. The sleigh ride they went on, their visit to Santa at the mall. I became hungry for those things. I wanted them more than anything else. I wanted to play in the snow and come rushing back inside to a cup of hot cocoa and listen to jingle bells while I warmed myself by the fire. It was all so festive, so magical. Now, I'm not telling you these things for you to pity me. I don't care about that. I'm telling you this so you understand why I did what I did. And why I went to Christmas land. I stirred in my bed and listened to my mom shut the front door behind her. My cheek was still damp from her kiss, and I knew she had just left to go to her second job. I rubbed sleep from my eyes and bundled up in my covers. It was cold, my breath pluming out before me. Mom must not have been able to pay the heating bill this month. As I tried to go back to sleep, my mind wandered. It was only a couple of days until Christmas, and I dreaded listening to everyone at school gloat about their presents and all the cool stuff they got. Buried under the blankets, I started to drift. The house was silent and dark. My bedroom door opened to reveal the barren living room. Hey, hey kid. 
The voice shattered the serenity like a hammer on glass and my eyes shot open. My heart began to race in my chest and I tried to determine if I had imagined the voice or not. Mom had just left. I was supposed to be alone. Hey, come over here. I sat up, breathing fast. I hadn't imagined it that time. It was a male voice. Low, deep, but inviting. It's okay. I just want to talk to you for a second. Swallowing hard, I slid off my bed and tiptoed to my door. I peeked around the corner, trying to see through the black. Had Mom brought a friend over and left him here? I thought about turning on the light, but for some reason, the thought scared me. What if I didn't want to see whoever was out there? What if it wasn't one of Mom's friends? Over here, by the fireplace. I squinted towards the ashy, empty space against the wall. Uh, I didn't see anyone. I was a mess of trembling nerves as I crept towards where the voice had come, keeping my head on a swivel. I stopped in front of the fireplace, scratching my head. That's better. I'm up here. I jumped, taking a step back as the voice echoed from the chimney. As I settled myself, my mind began to spin. Who was up there? And how had they gotten up there? The only person I knew who went down chimneys was... Santa. Fear subsiding. I knelt down and cocked my head up under the fireplace to look up the chimney. Dangling from the darkness was a long, charred hand. It hung motionless like a dead pendulum. Long fingers hung like silent chimes. The skin was as dark as soot. The hand was attached to an incredibly thin wrist that disappeared into the black. Hey, kid. The hand said from no visible orifice. I just stared at it, mouth dropping open. What, what the heck was this? I, How was the hand talking to me? And what was it doing in my house? You were pretty brave. Not running away. The hand continued. Still, motionless in the air. Most kids see me and book it. Not you, though. You're a tough guy, huh? I shrugged, still not sure if I was awake and listening to a hand in my chimney. Well, let me cut to the chase. I heard you like Christmas. Is that true? I told the hand it was, still unmoving. The hand continued. Well, that's great, because I have a surprise for you, if you want. I can take you to a magical place called Christmas Land. In Christmas Land, it's always snowing, just like the North Pole. Not only that, there's also hundreds of dazzling Christmas trees like you've never seen. And Christmas lights all the way through the sky. Oh, they're beautiful. Christmas Land is full of little boys and girls just like you. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Don't you want to see it? I shifted in my empty living room, curiosity pushing aside fear. That did sound good. That sounded like exactly what I wanted. As strange as the offer was, as bizarre circumstance I found myself in, I felt pulled to comply. It was nagging in my head, a whisper behind the voice I heard. I bit my lip and thought about my mom. She wouldn't be home for a couple of hours. She didn't have to know. The hand swayed gently, 
I promise to have you back before your mom gets home. You want to see the lights, don't you? You want to play in the snow? That I did. And honestly, I was so desperate to experience Christmas that it didn't take much to convince me. I told the hand I would come, making it promise to take me back home before three. It promised. Smiling hesitantly, I reached up and grabbed the hand which was now opening its fingers. On contact, I felt something jolt through me like a quick blast of icy wind. I grabbed and I heard the hand whisper something to itself from the darkness. Take us. Before I could respond, the hand gripped mine and I was lifted off my feet in a rush. Darkness blasted around me and I squinted, my eyes watering. I could smell ash invade my nostrils, the chimney squeezing in tight around my shoulders. The hand never let go and we just kept soaring up and up and up. Up far too long. We should have reached the end of the chimney by now. And then I audibly gasped as the light exploded across my vision and heat rushed in and wrapped itself around me. I blinked, wind tearing my eyes. And I realized I was falling. I was falling fast and the hand was nowhere to be seen. I started to scream, realizing I was falling towards the earth from high up, impossibly high up. And everything was wrong, all wrong. I expected to see my house, my neighborhood, a dark landscape below me. But what I felt towards was nothing like that. I felt towards charred earth and dusty mountains. I felt towards pits of fire and empty wasteland. I felt towards a mass of something wriggling and screaming. As terror poured from my mouth, hair slapped across my face, I saw that I was falling towards a massive net, dangling over the earth, filled with screaming children. When I registered what it was, I only had a second to cover my head before I smacked into them. My breath was crushed from my lungs and I felt bones break under me as I made contact with the other kids. I felt my shoulders scream in pain and I wriggled on top of the pile as hands reached for me, tried to pull me under, tried to get me off them. Faces stared at me, terrified, tear-streaked faces. Confusion and horror crashed together in my young mind like two trains on the same track. I didn't know where I was, what was happening, or what, what I'd just fallen into. I kicked at the hands, grabbing at me, frantic to be free from their touch. There were hundreds of kids below me, most of them crushed and dead from the weight of those above. I rolled over and pressed my face against the mesh, looking below us. Blood dripped from the bottom of the net and I could hear the slow grind of breaking bones in the air. And then the net began to move. I gripped it and pulled myself into a standing position, face pressed against the fibers, desperate to see where I was. The vision that awaited me still haunts me to this day. We were hanging above a vast plain of red earth. Foothills rolled below us, empty forests or foliage, Rock formations jutted from cuts in the dirt like emerging infections. Sharp angles of dangerous surfaces. Ash rained from a crimson sky. A constant curtain of never-ending flakes. It looked like snow. Walking across the expansive plains were dozens of towering, naked, sexless humans... They rose hundreds of feet in the air, all silent with eyes that looked glazed over as if they were asleep. They were rhythmic in their movement, order to their steps. They worked together, all across the horizon, bringing down nets and emptying them into colossal piles. Dozens and dozens of human mountains scattered across the horrific world. Bleeding cairns that screamed and howled in the wind. 
I watched in devastated horror as the children were emptied from the nets and tumbled down the piles, still fighting to get away. Even as they did, one of the enormous humans would come forward and kick them back, killing them in the process. When the piles were high enough, an enormous blazing rock was set at the top to begin a slow burn down the mountain of flesh. In a sick way, it reminded me of a star atop a Christmas tree, the orange and red stone lighting the pile with disturbing color. As it burned away the bodies, a thick black smoke wafted from the dead and rose up and up, high into the sky. My bloodshot eyes followed the dozens of plumes of smoke towards the heavens, and for a second time, my breath was robbed from my lungs. Stretching across the expanse of the sky, from horizon to horizon, was an absolutely titanic body. It was naked, like those below, but its skin was pale, almost white. Its hairless torso peeked in and out of the black smoke and cloud cover, winking down at us from an impossible height. Its head was bald, and its moon-sized eyes were closed and unmoving. Its mouth was a long line across its face, a pasty trench of overwhelming size, and it just hung above us all. Still silent. Peeking around the colossal body was the broken remains of a destroyed galaxy. Half-lit planets and stars hung miserably across the vermilion heavens. Entire worlds cracked and crumbling through the solar system like blazing comets. And that's when I noticed something. I noticed the motionless body in the sky was absorbing all of the smoke and death through its nostrils like black holes sucking in all matter. And the more it breathed in, the more it began to take on color. They were trying to wake this thing back up, revive it from whatever state it had fallen into. Before I could even digest all this, our net dropped and I was falling once again. I heard my voice join the others, screaming, howling. We were being emptied into a new pile of children. I hit the squirming mass with a thud and felt myself slide and somersault down it. Hands clawed at me as I tumbled, rolling further down, until finally I was at the base of the Flesh Mountain. The ground shook as one of the massive, sexless humans approached, carrying a blazing boulder. Me and three other children began to run, hauling away from the pile as fast as we could. I didn't know where, but in the distance I saw spires. I headed towards them. The giant holding the boulder kicked at us, and two of my companions were destroyed instantly, Tears pouring from my face, I ran and ran and ran. I could hear roaring behind me, a great bellow of fury at my escape. I didn't stop. I didn't care that I couldn't breathe, didn't notice the burning in my throat as I inhaled ash and soot. The ground shook and fire blazed and hell was all around me. The spires formed definition and I realized as I sprinted closer that they were chimneys, sprouting from the earth like broken tunnels. Hundreds and hundreds of chimneys of all shapes and sizes. Together they formed a field of stone and bricks stretching for acres and acres. Nets hovered above them from spikes the size of skyscrapers. As I approached the chimneys, I noticed the children were shooting out of them like bullets, only to fall into the waiting nets. I didn't have any time to feel sorry for them as I reached the edge of the chimney fields. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a plan. I just needed to escape this nightmare. Tears rolling down my cheeks, I scrambled up the shortest chimney I could find, brick licking my skin and drawing blood. 
My ruined fingers dug into tiny holes and I pulled myself up, weeping, until I was sitting at the lip and looking down into empty darkness below. Sobbing, I said a prayer and took one last look behind me. The titan in the sky had opened its eyes. Wind suddenly whipped across my face, and I was suddenly deafened by a great roar that shook the heavens. The giants below fell to their knees, hands upraised, as the very vault of the universe began to open and shift, shaking reality into an explosion of color and sound. Gripping the top of the chimney, screaming into the gale, I rolled forward into the open jaws of darkness. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I fell down, down deep into the long neck of the chimney and listened to the world end and be reborn behind me. I fell until all I knew was darkness. When I eventually woke, I was laying in the middle of the road, surrounded by police, paramedics, and a very concerned crowd. Red lights flashed across my blurred vision, and I blinked back black. Questions rained down on me, worried faces that became jumbled to form a roar of noise. I looked down at myself and saw I was covered in blood and ash, my clothes hanging from my body in burned shreds. I fought against the paramedics trying to shove an oxygen mask over my face and screamed for my mother, fear and horror consuming me. I blacked out soon after. I woke a few days later in a hospital bed. My mother's tear-streaked face staring down at me. Mercifully, she held her questions back. Instead, she hugged me tight and kissed my face, whispering her love. It wasn't until I was released a few days later that I was told what had happened. According to the people who found me, I had suddenly appeared in the middle of a highway, a highway three states over from my house and home. It was a miracle someone didn't hit me with their car. My mom took me home, and for years didn't ask questions. She knew something horrible had happened to me, 
I think she always suspected someone had come and snatched me from my bed and dumped me in the road. I let her believe that, despite the contradicting timeline. I never fully recovered mentally from that night. <laughs> How could I? I witnessed something no man was ever supposed to possess memory of. I saw something that defied everything. Where had I been taken? Where was it now? Was it some distant future or some alternate plane of existence? And just what was that thing in the sky? And where was it now? If the thought of a large hulking man keeping a small race of humanoid workers isolated in a desolate, frozen wasteland to fulfill his annual quota of charitable gift-giving weren't frightening enough, certainly the thought of being exposed to the gigantic hanging ornaments of monstrous dream antagonists decorating those visions of sugar plums dancing in your head will push your fear meter up in full. Either that, or that run-on sentence will probably frighten you out of your skin. But don't go away, for when we return, we have a final unsettling gift from the world of the Simply Scary Podcast under our rotting tree. And it is sure to fill your stockings with fright. <laughs> I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that your support is essential for our productions. To lend your support to all we do, go to simplyscarypodcast.com after the broadcast and click on the patrons link at the top of the page. And you will assure that we are producing brand new material to assault your ears. And you get first access to new productions. Every subscription helps us to scare you. So visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and support the kind of entertainment you deserve. Our final present is just waiting to be unwrapped. (laughs) And the card says this is from Thomas O. Wagner to you. And this should help to make it even harder to go to sleep than when you were a child on Christmas Eve. We've all said things that we didn't really mean, and later regretted it, but this little boy's angry curse will set into motion a life-changing Christmas story. And this one will be much more horrifying than the pink bunny suit your aunt knitted for you. Hold tight and grab your loved ones for this Noel. Kaylin Scott Carter performs Thomas O. Wagner's The Perfectly Behaved Boy. There once was a very well-behaved eight-year-old boy named Miles. He did all the things that good children are supposed to do, nearly all the time. He ate all his vegetables, unless they were carrots. He completed all of his school assignments, except for that one time he forgot to finish his homework. He was always nice to his friends, unless you count that one time when he yelled at his schoolmate, Tony. And he never spoke back to his parents or got mad at them, 
with very rare exceptions. Yes, he was nearly perfect, and he was a joy for his parents to raise almost all the time. That boy existed more than 30 years ago, and in a matter of speaking, he still exists. That boy, <laughs> he's me, and he will always be part of who I am. I can remember every transgression I made as a child, not only because there were so few of them, but because they ended up shaping my life in a way you could never imagine. Of all my misdeeds, the one that stands out most vividly is the very last time I yelled at my parents. The funny thing is, even though I can remember being mad and I can remember every word I said, I don't recall exactly why I was upset. When I try to think of the reason, it's like looking at a blank sheet of paper in my mind. I can tell you that it wasn't anything that my adult self would find consequential, but I know it felt important at the time. It was two days before Christmas, and the words I spoke felt foreign as they came out of my mouth, probably because I'd never said anything quite like it before. Go away! I don't want you to be here anymore! I don't want you to talk to me ever again! I could see the hurt in my parents' eyes as I unleashed my tirade towards them. Even now, I'm surprised at what a profound effect the words from my eight-year-old self had on them. Their dismay was mixed with obvious shock upon hearing me lash out. My mother had a look on her face that was confused, sad, and angry all at the same time. My father was harder to read, but I knew he wasn't happy. Sadly, the looks on their faces are among the last memories I have of my parents. Their distraught scowls are burned in my mind. Two visages that are now a permanent part of my psyche. By the time Christmas Eve came around, all had been forgiven. Whatever the issue had been, it was resolved. My mother cooked a special ham dinner, and we had a roaring fire going. The house was warm and extra comfortable. And in the hours after dinner, I sat and sipped from a mug of hot cocoa with peppermint. I no longer believed in Santa Claus. But that didn't stop me from feeling a natural yuletide excitement. I fell asleep that night staring at the dazzling lights and shining ornaments that clung to our Christmas tree. I vaguely remember my father carrying me to my bedroom and giving me a little kiss on my forehead. I awoke later that night to the feeling of someone poking their finger into my back. Wake up, kid. It was a voice I'd never heard before. A man's voice with a slight drawl. My eyes opened widely as I instinctively rolled out of bed in an outright panic. I fell to the floor and screamed for my father. I was trapped in a corner of my bedroom. I could see the man's silhouetted figure looming clearly in front of me. A small red glow came from a cigarette in his hand. I froze in fear of this stranger who had invaded my home. The man spoke to me again. Quiet down. He can't hear you right now anyhow. He put his cigarette to his lips and inhaled deeply. As he did, his face illuminated by the red glow, and I could see his deep set eyes, his dirty fingers, and his long black hair. But kid, I can hear you. I can hear you better than anyone in ways you can't understand. 
He pointed at the side of his forehead as he spoke. I didn't reply, but even through my fear, I couldn't help but wonder who the man was. He nodded as if he knew exactly what I was thinking. So, you'd like to know who I am? Well, I'm the guy who's tuned into your mind. I'm the guy that's been around for a long time. And most importantly, I'm the guy who gives kids what they ask for. He looked straight into my eyes, invading my mind and reading my thoughts. No, kid, I ain't Santa. He was agitated. You stupid. Do I really look like that overweight elf? No, man. I'm much better. I don't judge and I don't discriminate. I give kids what they ask for. The good kids and the bad kids. I finally found the courage to speak, even though he seemed to have no trouble answering my questions before I even asked them. I... I... didn't ask for anything. My voice trembled as I spoke. Sure you did. You wanted your parents to go away. I heard that loud and clear. Loud and clear. Not very nice of you. I'd say that makes you a bad little boy. But don't worry. Like I said, I don't discriminate. But I don't want them to go away. He shook his head. You said it. You meant it at the time. I heard it. I don't hear all the kids, just some of them. And I heard you loudest of all. Tears began streaming down my face, but their presence didn't seem to change the visitor's demeanor towards me. Well, kid, I just wanted to meet you and see whose voice has been screaming in my head the past few days. He turned and started walking towards the door. I gotta get started. It's time to give you your gift, and get a gift for myself, too. Merry Christmas, kid. He flicked his cigarette into the corner of my bedroom as he passed through the doorway, repeating himself as he walked down the hallway in the direction of my parents' room. Merry Christmas. The door to my bedroom shut, even though the man himself had made no effort to close it. I screamed aloud for my mother and father. To this day, I still have no idea if they heard me. I wish I could tell you that I bravely ran out of my bedroom to warn them, but I just sat, huddled in a corner, crying and afraid. I listened intently for sounds of a struggle, or for my parents yelling but I couldn't hear anything. Hours passed, and I watched the sky turn from black to gray, then to orange. I waited for my mother and father to find me. The orange sky turned blue as the day wore on, but they never came. An absolute silence hung over the house, yet still I sat there. It was well into the afternoon when I finally left my room. I knew I couldn't stay there forever. I tiptoed slowly to my door and opened it only a few inches. Looking out from the inside of my room, the door appeared normal. Everything I could see was in its place. 
I pulled the door open all the way, almost expecting the man from the night before to jump out at me, but that didn't happen. My voice broke the silence. Mom? Dad? No response. Trying my best to stay quiet, I walked slowly down the hallway towards my parents' bedroom. Their door was ajar. Dad? I put my hand on their door. Mom? I pushed it open and looked inside. I don't actually remember what I saw. To be clear, I'm perfectly aware of the fate that befell my parents, based on what was told to me later on, but I have no memory of the actual sight that I witnessed during that one awful moment. It's a traumatic event that my sane mind has blocked out. Even today, when I recreate the events of that night in my dreams, the scene fades to white as I push the door open. My next memory is of me lying down in the street directly outside of my house, screaming and flailing my arms wildly. The Porter family, who lived next door, witnessed my distress through their living room window. Mr. Porter exited his house and rushed over to me. He could tell something was seriously wrong. They're dead! It was all I could say. I repeated it again and again. Mrs. Porter followed closely behind her husband and comforted me as he went to check inside my house. A minute later, he exited and promptly vomited in the bushes. Nobody ever told me the whole story of what they found in that bedroom, at least not directly. It was explained to me that a very bad person had broken into my house and murdered my parents, even though I already knew as much. What was held back from me at the time was the fact that they had been decapitated. The cuts were clean, almost surgical. Both bodies were laying on the bed as if they had been asleep when it happened. The worst part was that their heads were missing, not to be found anywhere. Their bodies were sliced open. The strange symbols were drawn on the wall in blood. Other than the carnage itself, absolutely no physical evidence was discovered at the scene. Not one fingerprint, stray hair, or footprint was left behind. Nothing. The police listened to my story once I was ready to talk. I found out later I was considered to be an unreliable witness, mostly because the details of my story didn't mesh with the lack of physical evidence. A specially trained detective also my new therapist, sat down with me to review what I'd told the police earlier. The man, he wasn't wearing gloves, I shook my head no. I clearly remembered the cigarette in his hand, and there was no glove. And he threw the cigarette on the ground when he was done smoking it. I nodded yes. And he closed the door when you left your room. I shook my head no, and thought about it nodded my head yes. I wasn't really sure. The detective took notes as I talked. He nodded his head pleasantly, but even then I could see the strange look on his face when I told him that the man had read my thoughts. The one thing I never told the police was that two days before the murders, I'd asked my parents to be gone. The sketch artist came by afterwards. He started off by drawing some smurfs for me. Then, 
and he slowly began working me up to the task of remembering what the murderer looked like. I appreciated his effort. When he was done, the picture looked somewhat like how I remembered the man, but not exactly. I was taken in by my mother's sister, Aunt Janine, and her husband, my Uncle Anton. As unlucky as I had been with the deaths of my parents, I have to say that I was nearly as lucky to have those two in my life. Other than my parents, they were probably the best people in the world who I could have lived with. Looking back at the events of my life, I have to say that today, I miss them every bit as much as I miss my parents. Janine worked as an office manager, but she took a leave of absence in the first few months after the murders so that she could be home to support me. Anton worked for a home security firm. He was the kind of man who always had a smile on his face, so much so that it would be impossible for a person to even imagine him angry. He made instant connections with people, and he had a confidence about him that made people want to seek his approval, whether consciously or unconsciously. Janine and Anton didn't have any children of their own, and they'd always been very generous towards me. I knew them well, so it was easy for me to slip into their lives. I put a huge effort into making sure that I gave them no trouble, and I asked them for nothing. My conversation with the murderer was never too far from my thoughts, and I could hear an amalgamation of his comments ring through my mind daily. I give kids what they ask for, the good kids and the bad kids. I didn't know what the good kids were given by this man, but I understood all too clearly what happened to the bad children. It was two months before I felt like I was ready to go back to school. Janine and Anton, and even the school administration, were very helpful and understanding throughout the whole process. My classmates welcomed me back with smiles and words of encouragement. It's often said that children can be cruel, but I think it's even more true that they can be sweet and supportive. I really can't emphasize enough how much returning to all my friends helped me along in the healing process. My anxiety began to ebb, and my therapist proclaimed that it was a major milestone for me. Despite the progress in my psychological healing, there were always several thoughts that I couldn't rid myself of. The first was the guilt that I felt about asking for my parents to go away. I knew full well that the murder of my parents was in no way my fault there was always that nagging voice that wouldn't let it drop. I'd ask for them to be taken away. And that's exactly what had happened. The second thought was that the murderer would return again the following Christmas. Initially, all the adults assured me that he would be arrested quickly. Then, when that didn't happen, I was promised that there was no way he could ever get his hands on me that I was safe. I made sure that I was never left alone, and when Janine went back to work, she only did so part-time so that she could pick me up when school let out. I also had difficulty with the more unbelievable aspects of what happened that night. I tried to convince myself on a daily basis that the murderer was just a normal man and that my memory of those fantastical elements was merely my own imagination betraying me. But just like the guilt I felt, the troubling thought 
that this man was more than just a man didn't subside entirely. For victims of trauma, anniversaries can often trigger symptoms like depression and fear. For me, Christmas was the anniversary of my worst memory. As the summer ended, Janine and Anton, along with my therapist, decided early on that Christmas wouldn't be celebrated in our household that year. Nobody felt that I'd be ready for it. And they were right. Since we knew that Christmas was going to be an ordinary day for us, Janine and Anton made sure to throw me a huge birthday party in October of that year, when I turned nine. It seemed like most of the community turned out. We had a bounce house, ponies, and even a magician. Everyone, including me, had a great day. It was probably the first time in ten months that I'd grinned. Sure, there had been smiles up to that point, but I'm referring to the type of grin where your teeth show and the elation on your face can't be mistaken. Unfortunately, the joy of my birthday couldn't last forever. Inevitably, the signs of Christmas slowly started popping up not long after Halloween passed, and my anxiety started increasing. Though we weren't going to celebrate it, Christmas would be impossible to ignore. Holiday lights, store displays, television commercials, yuletide songs pumped over public address systems. How can one avoid all those and still function within society? Though those harbingers couldn't be avoided altogether. Janine and Anton made a concerted effort to minimize my exposure. Instead of letting me watch my TV shows, Anton taught me the game of chess, which we played nightly. For the most part, they avoided taking me to any stores and kept me home, or close by, as much as possible. Avoiding these triggers probably helped somewhat, but I still couldn't get rid of the tightening feeling in my chest that I felt every morning when I woke up. I managed to avoid any sort of breakdown until the 21st of December. Aunt Janine, because she was taking care of me, had herself been staying home an inordinate amount of time. Finally, after our fifth game of rummy in a row, she'd had enough. She tossed her cards aside. You know what, Miles? We've been cooped up too long. Let's get out of here. We'll go get ice cream. One little trip out won't hurt, right? I smiled in response. Okay. Ice cream sounded good, even in the middle of December. Aunt Janine, who was talkative by nature, kept the conversation flowing all the way to the ice cream shop. I suppose this was her attempt to keep my focus away from the lights and displays that we passed. And it worked, too. Ask a kid questions about his favorite superheroes, and he's going to get fairly preoccupied while he talks about them, even the quiet ones. We made it into the shop. I ordered a double scoop of chocolate fudge brownie. We sat down and ate our treats, with Aunt Janine still engaging me in conversation. Just for a brief moment, a nearby toy store's glittering Christmas display caught my eye through the window. They had a life-size poster plastered in their display window. It was a picture of Santa upon a rooftop, poised in a position as if he were just about ready to climb down the chimney. Blazing Christmas lights surrounded the display, and large words spilled out. What do you want for Christmas? I tried to turn away, but the colorful lights clouded my vision, enlarging in their scope until they all combined, finally creating a great white light. Miles? Miles? My aunt's voice was becoming more and more urgent. I suddenly realized she'd been calling my name for several moments. A cup of ice cream dropped from my hand. I... I just want them back. 
At that moment, the tears flowed freely. I could think of nothing else. I was hysterical. Aunt Janine quickly came to my side of the table. Oh my god, Miles, I'm so sorry. She grabbed me and hugged me tightly. I reciprocated, holding on to her as firmly as I could. This was a bad idea. I'm so sorry, sweetie. I'm sorry I brought you out. That was stupid of me. I'm so sorry I missed them too. It took at least 15 minutes for Aunt Janine to calm me to the point where we could leave the shop. We left our unfinished ice creams behind. No other incidents happened in the next couple of days, and my interactions with Anton and Janine helped distract me. Finally, it was Christmas Eve. I was quiet all day long, even more so than usual. Anton noticed and had a talk with me after dinner. You okay, buddy? I nodded my head yes. Despite my assurance that I was okay, he could tell I wasn't. He knew almost exactly what was on my mind. Come here, Miles. Let me show you a few things. I followed him to the living room window where he moved the curtains aside. See these windows? He slapped his hand on the pane to show me how solid it was. This is the strongest window that they make for residences. My company installed these. They're unbreakable, and there's no way someone can open them from outside. I stared at the window, while on the other side, blackness enveloped the house. He took me over to the door. See how strong this is? It would take a tank to knock this door down. The back door, too, and there's no way in. He led me over to the alarm control panel that was on the wall. This is the best system that they make. I installed it myself. He kneeled down to my level. Miles, you're safe here. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can get in here unless we let them in. He glanced to the side with his eyes. And don't tell your aunt I showed you this. He moved his coat aside so that I could see the holstered pistol he was wearing. Just some added protection, but I won't even need this. I nodded, feeling a little bit safer, but not completely. I still worried, not only for myself, but for Janine and Anton as well. Bedtime approached, and Aunt Janine, with the insight usually reserved for long-time mothers, knew the one thing that might make the night a little easier for me. Miles, do you want to sleep in our room tonight? She asked. Yes. I smiled and nodded at the invitation. We would all be able to look out for each other. They'd protect me, and I'd be able to warn them if someone came in. They put the soft blankets on the ground for me, right next to their bed. It was in a nice protected spot in the large gap between the bed and the wall. I couldn't fall asleep for several hours, but I could hear both Janine and Anton begin their nightly slumbers. Their breathing became rhythmic and almost melodic. I listened intently for any noises that might have been out of the ordinary, but nothing abnormal sounded out. There was a clock ticking somewhere in the house, and the occasional car passed by outside. Finally, my weariness overpowered my uneasiness, and I began my night's sleep. The dream I had that night was unlike any other I'd had before. I was in what appeared to be a large garage, the type where mechanics worked on cars. All around me, automotive parts were spread out along the ground, tires were stacked up, and an old rusted chassis filled the center of the room. Grime, 
dripped from the walls. The area was lit by a single overhead lamp. I instantly knew I was dreaming, even though it was the first time I'd experienced a lucid dream. From the corner of the garage, I heard metal clanking. I turned around to face the sound, and out of the darkness, the man who'd taken the lives of my parents emerged. He spit some phlegm onto the ground and wiped his mouth before addressing me. Hey, kid. <laughs> Don't worry. I ain't gonna hurt you. I'd like to, though. I'd really like to be able to shut you up, but it don't work that way. Despite my grimy surroundings, and perhaps because it was just a dream, this didn't feel like a place of anger or fear. Unlike the year before, I was able to find my voice right away. Why do you want to shut me up? I hardly ever even speak. When you consider some of the other obvious questions, I know it may sound strange that I chose to open with that. Was this man? And why did he take interest in me? Those were the questions I was really thinking, but my participation in the dream was guided, as if my actions weren't wholly my own. The man finally responded Hell, you quiet ones are the loudest of all. Y'all never stop thinking. Thought after thought, you kids can't ever just shut your brains off. Give me just one loud mouth. Those kids never think about anything. Tell you what, if it was up to me, I'd just rip your heads off and be done with it. But like I said, it don't work that way. I ain't allowed to hurt a child. I looked around and came to a slow realization. This isn't my dream, is it? That's a stupid question. You ever dreamed of a place like this? Of course not. This is my dream, kid. I'm parked right outside your house. I just wanted to take a moment to peek in on you. My fear of this man, which had been otherwise controlled to this point, slowly began creeping back. He saw the look of despair spread across my face. Have you been a good boy this year? He gave a little chuckle. Actually, yes, you have been. Do you remember what I said last time? I give kids what they ask for, the good ones and the bad ones. I shook my head. I didn't ask for anything. I spoke with a confidence that I didn't really feel. Sure you did. You kids always asking for something. And don't you worry now, because you're going to get it. The room and the man began to fade away. See you next year, kid. I get the feeling you and I are going to be part of each other's lives for a long time. Those were the last words I heard. Pure whiteness consumed me. And then I slept peacefully. My eyes opened. Outside the window, I could see the gray sky that signaled the approaching dawn. The house was eerily quiet, too quiet. I stayed fixed in my room, on the floor, listening for signs of life from my aunt and uncle, but I could only hear my own heartbeat. I wanted to sit up and look over to them, but I was afraid of what I'd find. The dream had felt so real, I wasn't sure what to think. I continued to listen. Please, I whispered to myself, let me hear them breathe. Several minutes passed. I still heard nothing. Tears began streaming down my face, and my pillow became wet. 
I knew deep inside that eventually I would have to look and see if they were okay. I couldn't lie on the floor all day, but my gut instinct told me that I didn't want to witness what was up there. Drawing upon my deepest strengths, I put my hands over my eyes and sat up. Slowly, I moved a single finger away from my teary eye. There was no blood, no gore. I pulled my hands fully away from my face. I could see Uncle Anton's chest clearly rise and fall. He was sleeping peacefully, very quietly. Aunt Janine turned in her sleep and mumbled a few nonsense words before resuming her silent rest. I smiled, and then I laughed in relief. I could see no evidence that the man had been there. It was still early, but any sense of sleepiness had been pushed away by my earlier feeling of dread. I stood up and walked over to the mirrored closet door. I looked at my red eyes and wiped them dry, while behind me I could see the reflection of my aunt and uncle sleeping soundly. There was no need to wake them. I left the room with the intent of getting something to eat, most likely a bowl of cereal. I walked down the hallway and passed by the alarm panel on the wall. All the lights were green, the doors, the windows, they were all secure. Nobody could have gotten in. Now, fully relaxed, I passed through the living room on my way to the dining area. That's when I saw it, sitting right on top of the dining room table. I froze in place and looked all around to see if there was anything else out of place, but everything else was as it should have been. I turned again to the table and stared at the beautifully wrapped gift box that definitely hadn't been there the night before. It was a large box maybe about 18 inches square. The wrapping paper that covered it was bright red with sparkles all over it. A pretty green bow covered the top. My aunt and uncle had agreed that we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas that year, yet there sat a gift box atop the dining room table. I wondered if they'd changed their minds. I walked slowly towards the gift, step by step. I stood up on one of the dining room chairs so that I could see the top of the gift. Whoever had wrapped it had taken their time. The box's lid was wrapped separately from the box itself. I lifted it up and then I peered inside. There was no fate white for me that time. No. I saw exactly what was in the box, and simultaneously, three truths occurred to me. The first truth was that the man had been in my house, despite all the security measures. He'd gotten in and out without raising a single alarm. The second truth was that the man had been right. I'd asked for something without even realizing it. The third truth was the sinking acceptance that his visits would be an annual occurrence. I stood there on the chair, staring into my parents' dried-out eyes, which were still in their decapitated heads, which were both in the box. I'd said I'd wanted them back, and the man, however he did it, had heard me and granted my wish in a manner of benefiting his evil ways. The ultimate truth that I learned from that day was that there could be no mess-ups with my behavior, and I could want for nothing. I was being constantly watched, and my mind was being continuously invaded. 
bad actions would be severely punished, and even good behavior would lead to its own sick and twisted reward. And that's the story of how a very well-behaved boy became the perfectly behaved boy. And as a perfectly behaved boy, all my desires had to be held in check. Emotionally speaking, I had to become less than human so that the visitor would have no fuel for the wicked game he played. Of course, nobody is truly perfect. There were slip-ups throughout the following years, times when I inadvertently made a wish or asked for something. Those slip-ups were very costly to me, but I don't care to recount the full extent of them here. I think I've given enough of myself for tonight. I'm weary and beaten. But what I will tell you is that after 30 years, I'm no longer afraid to finally say that I want the painful memories to go away. I don't want them anymore. I even said it out loud. I want the memories to be gone. It's cold outside right now. And it's getting late. I think I'll make myself a cup of hot cocoa with some peppermint before turning in. That will make me happy the first time in ages. I'm calm and at peace. Looking out the window, I could see all the pretty lights on the eaves of the houses. I don't think I ever really had the chance to appreciate just how festive they make everything look. For a long time, I just didn't care. But now... I'm going to take a few minutes to enjoy them while I can. Good night, everyone. And Merry Christmas. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, in reality, we find that, like with the monkey's paw, you should craft your request carefully, for you never know who might be listening. While we double-check our naughty list, we will share this brief message with you. When we return, we'll get those children nestled all snug in their beds, and set out milk and cookies for the final of our special holiday episode of the Simply Scary Podcast. No, no... No, Rudolph. No carrots for you. Back outside, outside, or we will get Dancer to chew on your skeletal carcass. The smell of rot and death was all around them. Snapping jaws and misshapen claws digging into their hut. 
When they opened their eyes, they saw how their bodies had changed overnight into something grotesque. Laro and Eurosa, two fairy sisters, woke up to the sound of screaming. They desperately fled attacks by insane abominations that had once been their friends and family. Soon they learned their only chance was to put on fragile magical disguises and steal enough of the magical material to lift the curse. Even as they learned of this, soldiers were preparing to exterminate the sisters and all their cursed neighbors. Not only would Lauro and Eurosa have to defy death at the fangs and talons of monsters and the soldiers they needed to fool, hardest of all, they'd have to get along. Forest, a tale of magic gone wrong. Get your copy from Amazon today. Welcome back, listeners. Our announcements will be shorter this time to make way for some gift-giving. And let's start the gift-giving extravaganza with this episode's winning iTunes review. And that winner is Skull1D. And Skull1D writes, The Simply Scary podcast gives me just the spook I need to get through my long evening walks. I've been a patron ever since Chilling Tales, the podcast. My favorite live reads involve Jesse Cornett torturing interns. It is hard to find good help nowadays. <laughs> Thank you, Skull1D, for leaving us that feedback. A truly lovely screen name, and Jesse and I certainly love torturing those interns. Ah, but we will need you to send a screenshot of your iTunes account page with your name and review pictured to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com. We can make your walks even more enjoyable or terrible when you tune in to Walking in the Dark, starring our resident master storyteller, Otis Jiry. Join him each week for a new adventure as he guides you through a journey full of fret. Subscribe below and become a patron on simplyscarypodcast.com to be updated on all our new content and get breaking news on all we have in store for you. Uh, well, Archibald and Jesse, we have succeeded in stoking the fears for a long winter's nap. Uh, wait, Jim. Uh, the other half and I wanted to get you a little something to kind of make up for, you know, the whole stabby-stabby incident with Terence the intern. Right. Oops. Uh, so we put our heads together and we got you this. <gasps> oh, oh, my. A, a new intern? I... <laughs> I... I don't know what to say. Oh, thank you so much, Archie. It's a wonderful gift, and just what I needed. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Oh, hey, hey, mister, please help me. I answered their ad at Craigslist for the 1979 AMC Pacer in fair condition for sale, and when I showed up, 
They knocked me out and put me in this burlap sack. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, back in the sack for you. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> well, fellas, thank you for your thoughtful gift. All is forgiven, and I got you a little something myself. Uh, here you go. A new set of Ginsu carving knives. Wow, GM. Thanks. That's really big of you after we broke your favorite intern. Oh, it's no problem, fellas. Yeah, and after we deep fried the chickens for your voodoo ritual? Yes, well, it's really... Right, and after we fed your bats those Alka-Seltzers? No, really. It's no... I know. Even after we super glued your... Yes. Boys, please, please, please. After all, it is the season to forgive and forget. Merry Christmas and a wickedly happy holidays to you. Wow. You're such a great guy, Jim. I mean, you gave us these really sharp and dangerous knives. <laughs> right. And you got that new stabbable intern and all. Yes, I see. <clears throat> well, why not? It is Christmas. Have at it, fellas. Really? Of course. <laughs> wow, this is the best Christmas ever. Uh oh, uh, guys. Uh oh, something weird is going on. I, 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 I think I'm feeling the Christmas spirit. Oh God, here we go again. Wow. Hmm. Will you have a look at that? Yeah. This is the weirdest Christmas miracle I've ever seen. Quite so. Quite so. Huh. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> This is G.M. Danielson. And the other half. And me, Archie Carlisle. Thanking you for joining us for this broadcast. We may come from different backgrounds. And we may celebrate different traditions. And though some of us may not be with the ones we love. There will always be a place for you here with us. In my castle, tucked away in the dark basement, that is the Chilling Tales Studios. So join us next time when we show you there is nothing simple about being scared. Unless, Unless of, of course, course it is the Simply Scary Podcast. Podcast. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas everybody. everybody. And have, have a safe, safe healthy, healthy, and, and prosperous, prosperous new year. year. This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. 
The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written by Jesse Cornett and Dustin Kosky and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment LLC 2016. Thanks for listening. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.